it is a privilege to be speaking today <clears throat> with Penny Egan, CBE and Executive Director of the US-UK Fulbright Commission, which fosters culture, cultural understanding through educational exchange. Prior to joining the Fulbright Commission, Penny was the Executive Director of the RSA, the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers, and Commerce, where, impressively, she became the first woman to lead the RSA in its 250-year history. She has served as the chair of one of my favorite museums at, in all of London, the Geoffrey Museum of the Home, and as a trustee of the Demos Think Tank. In the 2013 New Year's Honors, she was made a CBE for Services to International Education. Penny, speaking of international education, at a recent American Citizens Abroad Town Hall evening, you presented an overview of the history and the original intent of the Fulbright program. Can you take a few minutes at the start of this Tanager talk to do the same thing for our listeners? Yes. Um, so the Fulbright program was um, initiated by Senator Fulbright at um, the conclusion of the Second World War. And the reason for him suggesting this new um, program was that he believed passionately that the only way to, co to prevent a third world war was to find a means of um, people being able to spend a significant amount of time in each other's countries. And the conclusion of that was to set up um, an educational exchange program so that academic exchange became the vehicle for his vision of, of a world, a better world, interconnected world, where people understood each other from different nations. And so he persuaded um, Congress to vote a sum of money through for um, the beginning of an exchange program and delighted that the UK or Britain was one of the first countries to sign up alongside Belgium, France and Greece. Uh, I think Senator Fulbright has said so many things about his belief in the um, importance of international educational and cultural exchange, but I think it would be very nice to put on record one of them. So um, if I may quote him, he, he mentioned that the vital mortar to seal the bricks of world order is education across international boundaries, not with the expectation that knowledge would make us love each other, but in the hope that it would encourage empathy between nations and foster the emergence of leaders whose sense of other nations and cultures would enable them to shape specific policies based on tolerance and rational restraint. So I think that's a very apt quotation for the world that we now currently find ourselves in. It's very inspiring and uh, I agree with you. Um, Fanny, can you tell us about uh, the work and the services that uh, the US-UK Fulbright Commission is involved in today, the awards program and the Education USA advisory services. Yes, so um, we're part of a global program. There are 50 of me around the world that have um, 
small independent boards that are made up usually of the host country and uh, the US side um, of the equation. And we have a, um, a quality control mechanism called the Fulbright Scholarship Board in Washington, D.C., which is the, the umbrella under which we all operate. But to some extent, there is some flexibility. So our awards program, there are some unique aspects to it. But essentially, it is a two-way program, both ways across the Atlantic. And it usually, um, or rather the core awards, are student awards, which are for postgraduate education, um, and uh, what we call uh, scholar awards, which are for postdoctoral uh, academics. So within our program, as I said, there are some unique um, opportunities. One is that we have some awards for serving police officers, which we find um, has been going for 20 years and we're very proud of. We've just introduced some new cybersecurity awards, which are extremely topical. Tell um, me a little bit about that. So uh, Prime Minister Cameron, this is two years ago, was uh, due to meet uh, President Obama in the White House. And I think something must have happened and what they were going to announce as a joint new programme must have fallen through. And I was phoned on the way out uh, of an airport to Belfast for a meeting to ask if I could put together some new awards that that could be announced in 10 days time from the steps of the White House. The British government was committing some funding, but we had to find matching funding on the other side of the Atlantic. Worked fast. Uh, <laughs> we worked very fast. It was fantastic to have got that up and running. So we now have, at the moment, we have six awards each way for postdoctoral and professionals um, to, to apply for. Um, I'm hoping that after the government funding runs out, which will be quite shortly, that I will find some sponsorship uh, and that's what I'm working on at the moment, so we can continue those. So that's uh, so uh, alongside the core awards, we have some senior professorial awards um, and some shorter awards, which are called specialist awards, where we can bring, in, in this case, Americans in for six weeks to the UK to do some specific project. So there's there's quite a variety. Education USA is um, the place where, again, this is a global program run from the State Department, and it is uh, the place where you can come to find unbiased information about study in the States. And uh, we um, have a, a very comprehensive website that I think covers almost every aspect of what you need to know about studying in the States at tertiary level. Um, and we run seminars and webinars and we run the biggest college day uh, in Europe where last year we had 180 universities, American universities, come into London for really 48 hours with four and a half thousand people through the doors. Um, so next September, late September, look out for the next iteration of this extraordinary event. Will do. I attended it with my daughter, and, and, and I can vouch for the fact that it is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, at the ACA meeting, I was really inspired to hear about your collaboration with the Sutton Trust to assist UK students from less advantaged backgrounds study in the US. Can you tell us about this program and is there any similar mechanism or initiative that helps U.S. students from less advantaged backgrounds study in the U.K.? So this is a program that we're all very proud of here. It's a new program. It's called, it comes under the umbrella of broad mandate. So it, it's, as I mentioned earlier, the flexibility of 
um, the Commission to take on things that aren't actually Fulbright, but within the um, ethos of cultural exchange between the US and the UK. So I was approached by somebody called Sir Peter Lample. Peter Lample um, has dedicated his the latter part of his life to social mobility in the UK. For 20 years now, he's run summer schools in the UK at what he would consider elite universities. So that's Oxford and Cambridge and Bristol and Durham and places, St Andrews, places like that, where he takes state-educated young people with a low parental income, but academically very able, and um, tells them that they are just as good as their peer group who have come from wealthier backgrounds, and they should aspire to go to what he considers to be the, the best UK universities. Peter spent much of his career in the States, particularly at Boston Consulting, and he has uh, an American wife, and he's very committed to the the States and uh, what it can offer. And so six years ago now, he and I met, and he said to me, I'd like to do something similar for the same kind of demographic, but in this case, I'd like to encourage them to apply to the best American universities. So why did we do a pilot? So I said, yes, Peter, that's a great idea. Let's take five young people out to the States and enthuse them about the American uh, higher education system and uh, then try and get them into uh, universities in the States with full financial packages. And he said, five? I'm going to ask you to take 65. So the first year we took uh, 65 out to Yale for a week. I was, frankly, very sceptical about disappointing the majority of them, thinking that we might get two or three scholarships. When they came back, we mentored them through the application process and through the SATs exams. We gave them a lot of coaching about how to write their personal statements. We talked a lot to their teachers and their parents. These are first-generation young students. And so it was a really big deal and big step for them. And to our absolutely absolute delight, we got 23 full um, financial aid packages for four-year undergraduate degree scholarships. Uh, and that was the start of something that has grown. So we're now in our um, fourth year, and uh, we have uh, last so last last year we got 66 full um, scholarships for our students going to some of the best universities and liberal arts colleges. So picking universities strategically that offer funding for international students needs blind on the whole, mm-hmm. um, or something like the more Kane Head scholarship. So you know you're really being strategic in, in how we make sure these young people apply to places that are going to have that capacity to support them. So we're into the next round. Uh, applications are open, so I'd urge anybody that th- thinks you know they might have, um, they might know uh, young people that might qualify for this. You have the the qualification is they have to be state educated in the UK, and they have to have a parental income under forty five thousand pounds to qualify and have academic and shown academic ability at GCSE level. So. Um, that I mean, we always kind of cross our fingers every year. We can't believe how how successful we've been, and the access of you know millions of dollars worth of, of funding has now been um, accessed through the universities. Um, so to answer your second question, we run a small program, um, and as, as far as I know, I, d- I don't know about others, but I, all I can tell you is that we run a small program that is, that is aimed at first-year American undergraduates. It's a summer school program. We have nine summer schools running in the UK that range from three to six weeks. They, the students that are picked, we are looking for, for students that are, again, academically able, but haven't come out, been out of the United States before. It's more about 
um, mobility as much as social mobility. Um, and we bring them, as I say, fully funded to the to the UK for between three and six weeks. And that the, the um, summer schools vary. Some they the subjects vary. In other words, so um, Bristol has been doing one on slavery for for a, for a while. Um, Durham does one on archaeology. Um, they they vary, um, but there are nine of them um, that will be. Um, we think we have the open the applications are open now. Um, so that's our kind of. It's not as big as the Sutton Trust program, but it is a way of addressing a similar kind of demographic. How many students, I'm sorry, did you say? Uh, um, we usually bring it just over 60 each okay. year. Okay, so a significant yeah. number. A reasonable yeah. number, yeah. Okay. Um, I've, I'm, I understand that in, in recent years, um, the Commission has experienced some funding cuts. Uh, can you explain how your funding works, and some of your current challenges. Yes, so um, I mentioned that the, we have a, a board that is made up of um, uh, British appointees. They're appointed by the Secretary of State for Education. And um, the Americans, so seven come from, um, or rather six come from the U UK, one from Scotland, and, and seven are appointed by the American ambassador to the UK. Uh, and that's is actually laid down in the treaty that set us up. And the treaty also uh, lays down the kind of ratio of funding. So any any um, uh, commission that has a two-way program has money from both the host and, and the United States. Our funding ratio is roughly two-thirds to one-third. Um, and that's roughly still how the proportionality works out. Uh, but the actual money has not increased. So um, we have, we, in terms of money coming into the Commission, a third of the money stays in the States and supports our grantees when they are in the States. A third of the money comes into us, and the other third comes from the British government. The American um, government, to allow the Eastern European countries to come into the programme, um, cut the Western European countries in the, in the 90s. Um, largely to accommodate, and of course we were very pleased to see uh, the Eastern European countries join the programme. But to be to be frank, very little has increased since then. We don't get any inflationary increases. In fact, we've had a couple of cuts, smallish cuts. But in in real terms, we're we're way behind where we were um, at the beginning um, of the 90s. So my job is very much about fundraising, not necessarily in the classical classic sense that um, you think of high net worth individuals or, or corporates but it, it has we have succeeded in going from a program of 40 awards when I arrived so that's 20 each way to 120 awards um, with, with an imbalance between more awards for Americans coming into the UK than um, Brits going out and that's la the large that imbalance is largely due to the generosity of our British universities who have been fantastic in coming in and supporting the, the funding for both postgraduates and, and academics. We use our diminishing core, core funding to support the administration of everything, and some of it still goes into awards, but, but the majority of awards for Americans are funded actually by British universities, the top research universities, so we're only making relationships or partnerships with the very best. It's slightly different. Our ability to do this similarly in the States is more difficult because the global program is beating a path to the best universities' doors and they won't and shouldn't prioritise 
British applicants over anybody else by making some kind of um, special relationship with us. So I am. Um, that's my challenge: is to see how I can even up uh, the number of awards for Brits going out. Um, I have been working with some British uh, research charities, like the British Heart Foundation. It's um, one way. Um, uh, Elsevier Publishing, Lloyd's of London. There are some sponsors that are supporting the British side, but not nearly as many as the um, the numbers that are supporting the American awards. Still impressive, though. <laughs> so the new, so the, the, I mean, I'd love to think that uh, we could find some funding either from American foundations, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually beginning to target. So the summer okay. institutes, which I mentioned, have been funded by a private donor who will continue to fund them, but who will decrease the amount he puts in, having done fully funded them for the last three or four years. So I'm looking to hopefully approach some American foundations. Of course, the big opportunity that I see is our alumni. So we have large numbers of alumni who we've been very careless with in the sense that we, um, we know we have the original data. We know when they did their award and where they did their award and what their name is. But as nobody's really kept up with them, it's, it's hard to find them and, and to... Um, it, encourage them to, to give back when that hasn't actually been the kind of ethos of the program over a period of years. So we are beginning to say to our recent cohorts that um, it would be very nice if they felt they could give back and if they could give on a regular basis. So there is a there is a potentially new funding stream out there, but it's just the mindset of you know, the people that ha currently haven't been asked to, to give back and how we um, persuade them that that would be really a really good way of sustaining the program into the future. How many alumni are there? Well, we have sent um, 12,000 Brits to the States um, over uh, nearly 70 years, and we will have received um, roughly 8,000 Americans here. So there are potentially a lot. I mean, some of them obviously will, will no longer be uh, alive, sadly, but the majority will. Impressive. Okay. Um, Penny, I think it's it's fair to say that 2016 has produced a lot of political surprises in both the U.S. and the U.K. So for our listeners who believe, as did Senator Fulbright, that educational exchange, and now I'm going to quote him, <laughs> is one of the most effective ways to erode the mistrust that sets nations against each other, what things can we do to help the Fulbright Commission to pursue its mission? Well, the thing that I, I think is, is beginning to take shape in the States is the advocacy work of the Fulbright Association. So that's the, um, the alumni association in the States, which returning Americans can join. Uh, and they have now started a program where once a year they go up to the hill um, with uh, alumni in tow and uh, make the case for continued funding for the Fulbright program. So each year the budget has to be voted through Congress and it's always a bit nail-biting for all of us as we kind of wait to, to see. So it seems to me that those that can um, advocate for the program in the States that is probably the most effective way, um, yes. Perfect. 
Um, and I assume that if we know about uh, very talented students on either side of the Atlantic who might be interested in the program, yeah. um, we should send them your way. Oh, definitely, yes. Terrific, great. Penny, um, we have learned a lot in a short amount of time uh, about the Fulbright Commission. It really is uh, an organization that has done so much good for such a long period of time. We look forward to uh, watching it do more good going forward. And I want to thank you for being on Tanager Talks. Thank you.